I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for and sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Leticia Ordaz is an Emmy-nominated anchor and reporter at KCRA3 in Sacramento, California. A journalist for 20 years, she grew up in Sacramento County and graduated from Sacramento State. As a Latina mother of two Spanish-speaking boys, she sees the importance of having more bilingual books for them and other children to choose from. After spending countless nights translating picture books to her children in Spanish, Leticia decided it was time to write her own stories for the world to read. She is both an author and has founded Cielito Lindo Books, which is committed to representing all children and teaching them the importance of learning and preserving the beautiful Spanish language. Here is my conversation with Leticia. Leticia, thanks so much for being with me today. Julie, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I am thrilled. Although I have to confess, I had a moment this morning where I thought, she's a professional broadcaster. Like, I'm going to need to get my professionalism up here. But then I realized (laughs) I'm still myself, so it's just going to be what we get. (laughs) Uh, This is great. Yeah, definitely on the other side of things. I prefer interviewing people, but it's great to be here. (laughs) Do you prefer interviewing people? Yeah, I love it. I just love asking questions and, you know, getting the answers and just getting the raw emotion from people. I just can't help it. I love asking questions. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. Well, that's a perfect place for us to start. Obviously, we're going to talk about your books and your publishing company and all the many projects you have going on. But I wanted to start with what I think is a fun fact about you, and that is that you are a news anchor. So would you give us just a sense, maybe the short version of how you ended up there? Definitely. Well, I was this five-year-old girl in Galt, California. And when I was five, I already knew that I wanted to be on TV. And I mentioned it in my children's autobiography, that girl on TV could be me. And I was this little girl who, for some reason, had a fascination with watching the news. I always wanted to be informed. And I remember asking my mom when I was a little girl, why no one on TV looked like me. And she looked kind of stunned and probably couldn't believe that I noticed those things. But I did. And I wanted to be one of those people delivering the news. But at the same time, I had that question, can someone who looks like me make it? Yes. And my mom looked at me and she immediately said, yes, you too will one day be on TV, but you have to go to college. And so it all started there. I love that story. That is interesting that you noticed that so early on, but it speaks to some of the things that kids notice. I know they've done lots of studies on children's facial recognition or even babies and what they're drawn to. I mean, it's fascinating. So I love that you were able to verbalize that at that age, right? Not being sure. Definitely. And it came around full circle because I ended up interning at the station that I grew up watching when I was a little girl. And I was actually mentored by the woman, Lois Hart 
who I was watching on TV when I was a little girl. And she became my closest mentor. And she guided me through this business, believed in me from day one. And it was kind of like a shock for me to be able to work with one of my news idols. But she was so great that it inspired me even more to want to get into the business. Oh, wow. What a gift. That's so exciting. I love it when that happens. And I really enjoyed that girl on TV could be me. I was reading through it again this morning. I love that you pointed out in it that somebody told you when you started there, don't ever tell someone you want to be an anchor, that that piece of advice was given to you. I think that was great because it really grounded me and it made me think about what TV was really about. I wasn't going to get into the business just for the glamour aspect because it's not so glamorous when you when you really find out what happens behind the scenes it's a lot of hard work and and crazy hours i mean even to this day i wake up at 2 in the morning to get ready for my shift which starts at 3:30 in the morning so are you willing to make that sacrifice of working weekends working really odd shifts and being away from your family and and missing a lot of important milestones in your children's lives but you really have to have a passion for it and i guess it speaks to like don't tell people you want to be an anchor because also they may not take you very seriously yeah i really love that advice because it's so easy to i mean we want kids to have dreams and and look forward to those, but also that number one, that can't be the goal, right? The the thing that's not in your control because the work and all of these things that you put in are part of that journey. So I love that. And then having that sort of humility, I guess, to look at it and say, no, I'm coming into this to see where I fit and what my value is, as opposed to step aside, peasants. I want to be the anchor here. <laughs> For sure. This is a business you start at the bottom, you intern and you don't get paid where many other internships in college, they do offer some kind of stipend. And also when you get into the business in the book, it says you're going to start out making peanuts. And the truth is that television jobs, sometimes you start making minimum wage. So you really have to want to be in this business for the right reasons. Yeah, you do. Well, and I was reading about you uh, carrying the camera equipment, and I thought, yeah, I'd probably be like, nah, I don't think I want to carry that. (laughs) (laughs) It really challenges you. And you, I didn't know I could carry 65 pounds of gear, but apparently I could, and it made me stronger mentally and physically. I bet it did. Well, I really, thanks for sharing that. I like hearing about how people got to where they were, and it sounds like yours was very established early on. I think it's fascinating when people have that kind of vision and they just know what they want to do and then go set out and get it done. And I really liked that your news story, uh, you mentioned that you did a news story about a bear in your apartment complex. (laughs) Yeah, that was a little crazy getting to a brand new market and hearing on the scanners, your street that you just moved into, something's happening there. And you're like, oh, my apartment complex is right next to there. And (laughs) And discovering this bear and it was, you know, tranquilized and it was quite the experience and I had to go live and I had never been live before. I had always in the smaller market, Elko, Nevada, I had the ability to tape something myself, record it, make it perfect, then go on air. This was going to be the first time I was officially live, no room for error. So I was a little freaked out as you can imagine, but I saw (laughs) You made it. Do you like being live now? Would you prefer to record things? Like, how do you work now, years in? I love being live. I prefer it because you just don't have time to like get in your own head. You like, you just have to deliver the news. Where 
if you have time to record it, we joke about it because when we shoot what's called stand-ups, like sometimes if you know it's taped, you mess up a couple of times, but when you know it's live, you nail it because you know there's no room for error and you just got to get it done. So I do prefer the live aspect of it. That makes sense. I can definitely identify with that as a perfectionist. <laughs> when I record the bios that precede the episodes, that's the worst part for me because you know, you're know you just sitting alone in a room and you're like, gosh, I really botched that one pronunciation. Let me go back and do it again. And you can, you can go totally insane. Sure. You're like, okay, 20 times later, 20 takes. Yes. <laughs> and we're just going to finish this. Totally. So you got into your uh, job as a news anchor. You work for Channel 3 in Sacramento. And how many years have you been doing that? I have been in the news business more than 20 years. Yes. I've, it's been It's been quite the journey and I'm having so much fun doing it. I love storytelling. And I also love going to schools and talking about my job, like career day is so much fun for me and just holding school assemblies and letting kids know that they too, not only can be on TV, but can accomplish anything that they want to do. I'm a first generation college graduate. So I reach out to a lot of communities where their parents never went to college and some of them don't have those examples around them. So when they hear my story of not only writing books, but being on television, it motivates them to want to be on TV. And I always tell them when I was in school, I never had someone come talk to me to tell me I could achieve my dreams. So I think it's pretty special and I get a lot of reaction from them and one-on-ones after like kids come up to me and give me a hug and they're in tears and they just can relate to me. And I love that my job gives me the ability to do outreach in my own community. Oh, it really does allow you that. And I, that feels like you are well suited for it too. So that's it's neat so to much see. fun. And I am hearing you talk about, you know, the power of representation for these other areas, right? Like you're talking to them and telling them you're a first generation college grad and things like that. And I think that just really speaks, it dovetails so nicely with your publishing company. So tell me how that came to be. Yes. So I have always wanted to be a children's book author, or at least from the time I became a parent. I did notice when I was young, going to to the library, not finding a lot of characters that look like me. And I was always looking for, well, what about me? Where are the characters who look like me? So I noticed it, but kind of just, you know, went about my my life. And it wasn't until I became pregnant with my first son that I started looking for those books because everything you hear about how reading is so important. And, you know, I wanted my children to be exposed to books from the time they were in my womb. And and I did go to those bookstores and libraries and look, and I felt like they were still lacking in representation. And I just, it made me sad to think that my child would grow up in a world where they wouldn't see themselves represented and maybe they would feel like their life doesn't matter. They're not very important And that maybe brown isn't beautiful, and I didn't want that. And so I started thinking about writing books, but I became very busy being a mom. So that was kind of what do you mean? I don't. (laughs) I don't find being a mom busy at all. I'm actually just all sorts of leisure time. But anyway, continue. I mean, exactly. I know (laughs) moms don't have time to do a lot. Survival was key back back in the day. Oh yeah. But then when my children got a little bit older, and we went on a family adventure. And something happened to us with this special kite that we have, Mr. Macaw. My kids have always been fascinated with the zoo. We've taken them to the zoo from day one. So 
birds have been their favorite thing. And so we got a kite that was a Mr. Macaw kite. And my kids decided to fly it on a family vacation. Well, just as a hurricane was approaching, it wasn't that close to our resort, (laughs) but the winds were perfect. My kids are like, this is the perfect time to go fly Mr. Macaw. Can we go? And I'm like, why not? Let's be adventurous. So we went out to the beach and their kite, of course, was swept away and they were devastated because, you know, when your kid loses a toy, it's kind of a freak out moment. And yes, we didn't know if our kids would ever get their kite back. But what happened was even though the storm was coming, the people that lived in the town in Mexico where we were, everyone stopped what they were doing. They were putting sandbags on, you know, all of the doorways and Mm -hmm. boarding up windows. But at that moment, what happened to my children was the most important thing to them. So for me, that really showed community and village. They ended up finding my children's kite wrapped up in the tallest palm tree. And the guy, Tomas, actually climbed that palm tree to rescue this kite that was quite beat up. And I looked at my husband and I said, what a beautiful thing that just happened to us. You know, who knows if this kite will ever fly again. But the fact that they all came together to help rescue it was so beautiful. And the kids ended up going back to the hotel, like very sad. They didn't know if Mr. McCall would ever fly again. And what's funny is they ended up getting duct tape and random supplies and and trying to fix it. And I'm like, okay. And the kids are like, mom, Mr. McCall's magical. He's going to fly again. And we're like crossing our fingers. Oh boy, we we do hope he flies again. (laughs) Right. I wonder if this is going to be a core memory for you in disappointment, but let's see, kids. Let's get back outside. You never know. So the next day, the kids wanted to fly the kite and the locals are like, are you crazy? There's no wind today. The hurricane has passed. Like, you know, nothing major happened. Like, there's no wind. Can we try another day? But we were going to be leaving home and the kids were like, no, we need to know if this kite's going to fly again. So we took it to the beach and we're like, what do we have to lose besides some really sad kids? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So we went and uh, to our surprise, our kids just started running down the beach with the kite. And all of a sudden, this giant tail formed on the back of the kite. And it was a a heart, a perfect heart. And we're like, Mm. whoa, how did this just happen? And the kids looked at us and said, mommy, we told you Mr. Macaw is magic. And to me, that just was like a sign from God because, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I said, I have to make this a children's book because what a beautiful story that just happened to my children. And so I decided to, to make it a book. I grabbed some color crowns at the resort because everything was pretty much shut down because of what was happening with this right. storm that had passed. And I looked at my husband and said, in a year, this is going to become a children's book. You watch. And he's like, I believe you. <laughs> That's wonderful to hear. Way to go, Uh, husband. So he believed in me and and I believed in the story. But when I started sending it out to publishers, um, I got the reaction of, we love the story, but does it have to be in English and Spanish? Because a part of me wanting to write in books was to make them bilingual. So uh, my children would continue speaking both languages and others would be proud of their culture. For me, it came easy to speak both languages because my parents weren't super fluent in English and we always spoke with them in Spanish. But now my husband and I are very fluent, obviously, in English uh, growing up here. So we thought like this language could be very easy to lose. So let's keep it up. And yeah, we didn't like the publisher's response about do we have to make it in Spanish? I was actually very offended. And my husband looked at me and said, you don't have to go with a publisher. And I looked at him and I said, you're right. And I said, why don't I just start my own company? 
And so I started doing a ton of research and ended up founding Cielito Lindo Books. Uh, Cielito Lindo, Beautiful Sky. It's a really popular uh, Mexican song that's been around since the 1800s. And my parents used to sing it to me. And it just represents love and culture. So that's what I did. And, you know, I was very confident about this book. And I said, it's going to be a huge success, regardless of what I was told by those publishers. And I will prove them wrong, which has always been my mission is to prove people wrong, especially when they're not in the right. Yes. And so, but the book came out March of 2020, just as the world was shutting down. Jeez. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, what's going to happen now? How am I going to get this book in the hands of people? All of my appearances were canceled. Mm. But uh, what ended up happening was, as you know, the Zoom world opened up and I got busy on social media, started letting everyone know that I had a new book out. And before you know it, I started getting requests all over the country from from teachers, from hospitals. Can you read to us? And this book just became a sensation pretty much overnight, just me doing Zooms around the world. So that was pretty special for me to say, wow, I can still reach the masses, even though the world is shut down. People are hungry for these stories. So that was very special for me. And then what ended up validating the book was that eight months later, I ended up being contacted by the International Latino Awards, which I entered my book for. And I competed in that competition and ended up winning four International Latino Awards and ended up beating the company that told me that my book wouldn't sell because it was in English and Spanish. So I'm like, boom. Man, <laughs> that had to be very satisfying. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my, my husband threw a giant party for me and got me the <laughs> biggest cake. And we we're like, we did it. You did it. You didn't need them. You did this all on your own. So much heart and passion into this project. And it really resonated with the world. Yeah. Oh, that's so heartwarming. <laughs> I am very, I am glad that it's out in the world. I really enjoy your books. And what I really like and appreciate about them is actually that you have Spanish and English on the same page. And the way that you've formatted them, I think is so smart because for a lot of families, especially those with people at home who are speaking Spanish, let's say, and then the kids are going to school and learning English, they bring home a book like this from the library. That's such a gateway to be able to read with the people they love. And often it's sort of diminished, right? The translation is not as important, but the way that you've said it, both languages are as important as the other, and it's so detailed. So I really, I think that it's a really wonderful tool, but also expression of kind of the heart of the book too, which is kind of the feeling of community and togetherness in that. I really, I like that a lot. Thank you. Yes, I've received so much reaction from children when I read it to schools and all of a sudden, like the kids have a question and tears in their eyes saying, wow, now I don't have to be embarrassed that my parents only speak Spanish. And it just really validates the language and who they are. And then other kids who are not Latino and are learning Spanish, their eyes light up too. It's like, wow, this is an important language that I'm learning. And you hear from families when I do community events, grandparents will come up to me in tears, emotional, saying, now I can finally read to my grandchild. Yes. I haven't been able to bond with them because there aren't many books that I can relate mm -hmm. to. So it's been very special, the reaction that you get from kids. And it's not just for Latino kids. I really think it's validating the language and society. And I also think that children at schools, when I present to them, are treating their classmates better. And they're seeing that 
you know, you're not a foreigner for speaking another language. You are a part of society and we should speak multiple languages in America. So I think it's really awesome. And I hear from so many families who are not Latino who are like, I want to pick up English and Spanish now because of your book and, and adults that are saying, I actually am reading your books just so I can learn Spanish. So I think that's really cool as well. It's totally cool. And you're exactly right. Seeing multilingualism as, uh, or seeing being multilingual as a superpower. And that is a translatable message among languages, right? So the kids who, like you're saying, they don't necessarily speak Spanish, but just knowing that their language is as important that they could kind of put whatever language they speak in there, that's just such a gift that you give them. So I'm so glad that these books are out there and that you didn't, that you didn't cave on that, that you knew what you wanted. That's very impressive. I'm so glad. And I just visited a school recently and then I got a note from the mom who posted something on Facebook to the school after the school posted uh, my visit and the woman, she's not Latino and doesn't speak Spanish, but she was so appreciative, said, my son came home so excited saying, mom, I now speak Spanish because we were speaking in Spanish in the class. We were repeating phrases and the kids just felt like they did have a superpower. Like, mom, I now know another language. And kids can master it so easily. Like we do like repeat after me phrases and the teacher sometimes are like struggling to repeat and the kids are speaking it like they're fluent speakers. So it's just amazing to expose children to another language and how easy they can pick it up. Yes, you're so right. Those years of time where they just can take to it like ducks <laughs> to water. It's amazing. Little sponges. <laughs> yes, in all the best and worst ways. <laughs> True. Watch what you say. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. <laughs> so when you started the publishing company, so you've published all of your titles under Cielito Lindo's umbrella. Now, do you have a vision to take on? Are you going to acquire more books? Do you want to have more authors that are published by your company? What are your thoughts on the future of the company? Oh, for sure. I would love to take on more authors. And in fact, I'm working right now with youth in Lancaster in Los Angeles County. And I work very closely with schools all over the country. I fly all over the country on my days off to, to visit schools and do presentations. And I just happened to meet the superintendent and he loved my story. And he said, would you be able to coach my kids or work with our kids to write their own book? And, and so I've teamed up with them and I'm working with 88 migrant children 
in Lancaster and we've come up with an anthology called We Come From Greatness. And so it's been a, a special project working with these kids who, who have a lot to say. Uh, they have very empowering stories and a lot of them didn't imagine that they could ever be writers or that anyone would want to hear what they have to say. But what they've written is so powerful, you know, personal essays, poems, just amazing, amazing stories of coming to this country and just wanting to feel normal, that search for the American dream. They had so many ties to their culture still where they are fearful of having to compromise and lose it. And mm -hmm. so many kids are like, we're proud of our culture. We're going to maintain our culture. And, and this is how we're going to let our peers know that, you know, we are so multilingual and multicultural because they don't just come from, from one background. You know, they come from mixed cultures. Like maybe their mom is from Afghanistan and their dad is from Mexico and they're coming together and all these blended cultures and they're coming to America. Mm -hmm. And so it's just been such a wonderful project to work with them. And I can't wait to present this book to them and say, you are now a published author. I think all of us are going to be in tears. Absolutely. And when is that scheduled to come out? So you've been editing it as well? Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, my team has been editing it. And obviously, you know, we want to keep the original sense of what they wrote, but, you know, looking for grammar and, and, you know, Oh yes. Editors necessary. <laughs> every work needs a good editor. So we have a fabulous team here and we're working together to clean up those essays. And yes, the design team is doing a fabulous job on that. And that book comes out in mid-May and we're going to deliver it to the children before some of them graduate high school and say, look, look what you did. You know, this is just the beginning for so many of them who can now take on other stories and, and you know, write their own book. Yeah. Pretty special. That is very special. I wanted to ask you in relation to that, you know, you are the daughter of first-generation immigrants. So I know that some of the friends I've talked to that have that as part of their family history, there's so much good and so much that's challenging about that in terms of the way that you're coming into growing up in a new world that your parents didn't grow up in. What was something that stood out to you that you found during growing up as a daughter of parents who were born in Mexico? For sure. I just wish that my parents would have had more confidence in themselves because they do so many wonderful things. But because of the barriers that they faced in life, sometimes they're embarrassed to speak the language because they think that they're being looked down on. And I'm like, mom and dad, you speak great English. Just speak it when you need to. Mm. And sometimes they feel embarrassed. And when I was a child, asked me to translate for them a lot just because of how they thought they were being viewed upon. So that was hard for me to, to see that they could speak it, but they didn't have that extra confidence or, or support. But at the same time, they are so resilient to come to this country without speaking the language. They ended up becoming homeowners, finding a program where they you know, never sought social services. They ended up helping to build their own home. It wasn't a Habitat for Humanity project, but my right. mom had just heard word of mouth about this program and this grant through the USDA, where if you help to build a part of your home, it could become yours. Obviously, you have to pay the mortgage and everything. But she ended up hearing about this program, not speaking the language and, and saying, we're going to do this. We're going to become homeowners here. And, you know, they are just so smart. They have saved so much money. And they now have a home here and as well, a paid home in Mexico. And they're just doing amazing. And their resilience, they're hard workers. They taught me a lot. But I think that at the same time, they were fearful of a lot of things. Like when I first told them, 
that we were going to go to a four-year university, I remember my mom saying, well, is it okay if you choose a junior college first? Because, you know, my friend's daughters are choosing a junior college. And I think that financially that would be better for us Mm -hmm. because it was really uncharted territory, even though they wanted us to go to college at the same time, they were like, we're going to incur this massive debt uh, by allowing you to go to college. And while we want you to pursue that higher education, there was a lot of fear behind that. So I think now they, that they have seen examples of their children and, you know, cousins succeed. They're different people now, but there was that sense of the unknown and, and fearfulness of massive debt. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and I like the way that you, thank you for sharing that because I think that's such a testament to even the title of your anthology, We Come From Greatness. Our values are skewed sometimes when you look at immigrants and children of immigrants, the skill set that they have and have developed in terms of their resilience and ability to figure it out in spite of these barriers is so important and valuable. And so seeing that as a, again, a superpower instead of an impediment, I think, or something else to be embarrassed about. I think that that's such a beautiful way. And it sounds like you're really encouraging that in these kids that you're working with for the anthology. And also it's just nice to see from the other side of that. I think it just makes kids more proud of their parents when they do hear my story. And then they analyze their own stories. My parents, I tell kids, didn't even finish the sixth grade in Mexico. And it's not that they didn't want to. Uh, They're the smartest people I know. Their parents had a lot of kids and they were just told, this is what you're going to do. You're going to start working on the ranch and you're not going to be able to continue your education. And for my mom, all of her brothers were able to go to college and get degrees, become veterinarians and different positions. And she was not given that opportunity because, you know, it was just different back then. And so I think sometimes they think that they are less than, but they're not like, they're the smartest people that I know. And you don't need a college degree to succeed. I mean, I obviously encourage a college a college degree, but my parents are amazing. And I think that more parents need to realize their own superpowers. I talk about moving to different markets in my book and kids were like, well, weren't you scared to move to a different city? I'm like, well, I was nervous, but I had the example of my parents who moved to a completely different country, not speaking the language. So if they can do it, I can do it too. Absolutely. Yes. It's good to have that kind of inherited grit and have those stories already in your mind that, oh, these are people I know, real people that have done this and now I can do it too. Yeah. That's a gift. I really, I appreciate hearing that. So moving forward, well, let's talk real quickly. The most recent, Mr. McCaw has continued to have adventures, which I really love. So your most recent title came out in March. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yes, it is Mr. McCaw, Lost in the Big City. And so Mr. McCaw moves from Mexico and comes to the United States, comes to California, the capital city, Sacramento, to be exact. So the boys continue their adventure. They sneak Mr. McCaw on the plane after discovering he still has his magical powers. And then there's an airport mix-up. And then Mr. McCaw can't be found when the boys get here and have to confess to their parents that they snuck Abuelito's magical kites to California. And now they must find Mr. McCaw. So it's another story of coming together and a community helping these young boys. And then them discovering, you know, a little bit about their grandpa, who even though he has passed and left them this kite, 
in the book, they still have his spirit with them. He's always here guiding them. So it, it also talks about, I think it connects with people who've lost a loved one to see like, you know, that you can still remember your loved ones, even when they're gone and find ways to honor them. Mm. That's such an important message. Kids need to hear about that because I know a lot of those things, especially losing someone, it can be really scary and they kind of form their own thoughts. So having books to be able to talk to them about whatever your beliefs are and what you want them to know and how to stay connected to those people is such a gift. Oh, fun. I can't wait to hear about Mr. McCall. Also, did the airline lose the bag? That's what I need to know. No, the airline did not lose the bag. It was a mix-up where the wrong kid grabbed the the green bag. (laughs) Man, I'm a real pessimist these days. They lost it, didn't they? Well, it's because I'm married to the man who will not, he refuses, refuses to check a bag. doesn't matter where we're going or for how long. It's it's verboten. It is not happening. Oh my goodness. Well, I'd be scared. (laughs) Hopefully he lets you check it in a bag because... I know us moms don't pack light. <laughs> it's true. I was like, how do you expect this to happen? I don't know. It's funny. I end up doing chemistry, like putting little bottles of stuff into tinier bottles. It's, you know, it becomes a challenge. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe I'll use that skill somewhere else someday. Fun challenge. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we're working on the anthology. You're a news anchor in your spare time. You're jetting around the country. I mean, so really, you have a lot of spare time, clearly. But (laughs) what what do you see for yourself and for Cielito Lindo and just kind of in the coming years? What What would be your dream for it? So my dream is for my company to continue to grow. I'm kind of a one-man show. I do have some amazing editors and designers and illustrators, but I definitely want to continue to grow my business, uh, publish other people's stories. That is my goal, to open up that doorway for more diverse authors to be published because a lot of them say they try to get their story out there. And we're still very underrepresented, only about 5 to 10% of Latinos get their book published in the country. And it's not that Latinos are not writing stories. It's just that some publishers are choosing to ignore their manuscripts. So uh, we want to become a place that can open the doors for these fabulous stories that are so needed in our society. And there's also a lot of talk about some of my books being made into animations. And Hollywood has taken a particular interest in That Girl on TV and Mr. McCaw. And it would be so amazing for one of my books to become an animation. So we're currently seeing what can happen with that. And I just want my books to keep empowering children in the community to believe in themselves. Uh, So often when I visit schools, I hear kids come up to me after assemblies sharing their own ideas. So I think that we're just sparking and not just, um, you know, a book here and there being released, but we're sparking a movement. I love hearing that. That's such a a great vision. I can completely see these books as an animated series. I would love that more than anything, especially, you know, just how kids can relate to movies so much and how they feel so validated when they see themselves on the screen. We are still very underrepresented in the movie industry as well in all sorts of media. So um, these stories are fun and they're fun for everyone. I think that's what the message that Hollywood is trying to send is that it's not just for a certain group that's going to like this movie, you know, like Encanto, like, you know, everyone loves Encanto, everyone yes. loves Coco. It's really something that even though it's cultural in nature, like the world is connecting with these stories. Mm, that is nice to see. It's a it's a nice moment that we're seeing more of that, but 
to your point, it's not nearly where it should be in terms of the numbers matching up a little bit better. So it's yeah, nice. It's, it's a constant fight. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And now also, sorry, one more question. Would you, are you thinking still children's books or would you ever try and venture into adult or young adult? So yeah, I'm interested in chapter books because my kids, as they're getting older, I, I think I will always do children's books. <laughs> That's okay. where my heart is. I love but it. I, I'm same. I'm there with you. I'm totally open to um, taking on chapter books. At this point, I don't have any plans for a memoir or anything like that, but who knows what can happen in the future. But I think like children opening up the first book to me, I, I think I'm making the most impact reaching those little readers from the very beginning and letting them see their stories. So my passion is to stick with children's books and maybe, you know, write that chapter book here and there or accept authors who are writing those chapter books. But the youth is where my heart is. Yeah. Well, you are clearly right in the sweet (laughs) spot, I think. I mean, minus you not doing very much and just sort of hanging out. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) I want to loop back around to this getting up at two in the morning. What time do you go to bed? So generally nap. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) Too busy writing. (laughs) So I generally get like no more than four hours sleep. And I'm crazy like that because even on my days off, I can't function with more than that. (laughs) Wow. Really? That is so incredible because I was just at Disneyland on a middle school band trip where I was a chaperone and we were probably at five hours a night and I was a horrible person. I am just (laughs) not very nice when I don't get enough sleep. I'm so impressed. That's amazing. It's like you've evolved. You're like a superhuman. No, I think my kids will tell you, okay, mom gets cranky if it's after nine and we're still up. I'm like, yes, mom does get cranky because you need to go to sleep so mom can finish making lunches and everything. (laughs) Well, I do agree with that. I think all children who stay up past their bedtimes need to understand that they do that at their own peril, right? (laughs) Like, come on, just go to bed. You decide you're hungry at 830 (laughs) when you already had dinner. Like, okay, like go back upstairs. (laughs) Yep. Oh gosh. I love it. Well, now I have teenagers and they stay up later than I do, which is another weird thing, the whole thing. But it sounds like the good thing is yours will probably be going to bed right when you're getting up for work. So you can just sort of see them (laughs) passing in the night and you'll be like, I know what's up. I know what's happening. Yeah. That would be crazy. Throw up that. (laughs) One day they will be. They'll be teenagers one day. (laughs) Well, I'm ruining my children into making them crazy about sleep too. So I'm sure that you know, I don't know. They need stuff to talk about their therapist later in life. Otherwise, what will they do? Absolutely. I'm sure my kids are forever traumatized that mommy wakes up at two in the morning and I'm sure they hear me getting ready and the blow dryer and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you're right. It's not like you're just running out the door, like slapping on some outfit and you're out. Like you've got to get ready. I'm not quite as a mouse. (laughs) I know that I will be watching that girl on TV, which is you. And I love that we're connected. And thanks for this time today. I really like hearing about your company and what you're doing. It's important and it's valuable. And I'm so glad these books are out here. So I will be looking out for Mr. McCaw and hoping great things for him and you. Billy, thank you so much for allowing me to share my story with you. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. All the same. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at Julie Writes Words, or you can go to my website, juliewritewords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week.
And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book. <laughs>